Hi, it's Saya. This is Hearsay. Thanks for tuning in. My guest today is Kevin Mitchell. As you may know, Kev plays in Jebediah and has a solo project under the name Bob Evans. This episode is a special one because we're doing a dual podcast, meaning he's a guest on mine and I'm a guest on his podcast, Good Evans, It's a Bobcast. There's some crossover, so if you want to hear more on his crazy show story, go listen there after this. It's totally worth it, I've got to say. His show is very strange. Uh, the sketch this week of Kev's story is by Shah Greenwood. She's an incredible artist. Go check out some of her work if you can. Hope you enjoy the Jewel podcast. Here we go, episode three of Hearsay. Thanks so much for being on my podcast, Kev. Absolute pleasure, Saya. Really um, excited to have you on. Well, I've listened to episode one and episode two. Have you? Of, of Hearsay, I have. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, was, I mean, I was particularly interested in the first one with Quam because, you know, being a, a big regurgitator fan. And yep. um, then I listened to the new one with Ben, ben Corbett, is that his name? Yeah, um, that's right. On the way home from the airport, um, when I was coming home from, where was I coming home from? The Gold Coast. Oh, yeah, so I flew home from the Gold Coast on um, Monday. And I listened to that on the way home, and it was also very good. So, oh, yeah, thanks. I, I'm, I, I've, I'm a big fan of yours too. I've listened to all of your podcasts. Oh, stop it. Do you stop it? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get along just fine. <laughs> we just need to cut all these bits out that are sickening. There's still a little bit of room in my pocket for some more piss if you want to. <laughs> Fill it up a little bit more. <laughs> Maybe I'll save it for later. <laughs> so I'm really excited because we're doing a dual podcast this evening. Yes. So yeah. you're, do- you're doing mine, I'm doing yours. Yeah, we're going to double up. At first I thought it might be cool to do the same one and post it on both, but it kind of defeats the purpose of our shticks. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, we're just people, uh, you know, I think when we, do, when we do the next one for my one, I'll just let people know right from the start that it's kind of we're kind of carrying on from this one. So people okay, might want to listen great. to this one first before yes. listening to mine. And it's kind of like a two part a two parter. Or it's like one awesome. of those superhero um comics where, you know, there'll be like somebody from a different comic book will will come in. Yes. You know, little guest star. Yeah, yeah. Crossover. <laughs> it's a crossover. It's a crossover to be continued. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, hey Kev, we I mean we've known each other a long time, but also haven't seen each other much in the time that we have known each other. Yeah, <laughs> that's the uh, way of the the way of the musician, really, isn't it? I, yeah, I, I kind of like it though. It's really nice to run into you every few years and have a nice time. I'd say this. I would pr- pretty much say the same thing about some of my best friends. Known each yeah, other, absolutely. known each other since we were kids. Don't see each other very often, but <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You know. Um, <laughs> So I guess I want to go back to, I mean, I, I got to know you pretty well when we were touring together back in the, gee, I don't know, early 2000s. Yeah. Um, well, let's see. It would be, um, would it have been when Second and supported Jebs when we were, fuck, when was that? 2001, maybe? Or? 
Yeah. When was your self-titled album? Yeah, two thousand. Well, it came out in two thousand and two, but I I feel like it was around then. I feel maybe like maybe we did the single tour or something. That's what I feel like. Maybe you guys did the single tour, which would have been at the end of two thousand and one. But um, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's some, that was somewhere a long around time there. ago. And it was after <laughs> that that we did the that we put out second and stuff on Redline, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 So I guess where yeah, we was, yeah. It, so I guess it would have been yeah that Jeb's tour when we first met. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, but let let me go back to when you uh, when you first started liking music. Did you grow up in a musical home? Um, yeah, I I don't think so. Um, but I've got into trouble recently for for this because um, you know I've obviously said in different interviews here and there that I haven't grown up in a musical family, and my mum has taken me to task on that. <laughs> she's because she's like I think she's a bit like. Oh, you know, my she she pretty much tried to tell me that basically music was her life until she started having kids and had to give it up. I was just like, <laughs> "Fuck off, come on, what?" So you're basically saying that, like, you know, whatever, you know, she's tr- trying to, she's doing two things. She's laying claim for the musical genes, saying basically yep. your your music thing that comes from me. Plus, and and your brothers. Yes, and my and my older brother. Plus, she's doing the guilt thing as well by saying she had to give up on her musical dreams <laughs> because of us bloody kids. <laughs> uh, so, but look, but my memory of growing up was that um, you know, look, I'll give mum credit. That we always had a we had a piano in the house from about the age of from when I was about sort of seven or eight onwards. Um, never got taught how to play it, or I started tinkering around a little bit. Uh, on it when when I was in high school, but um, yeah, you know, and and my parents had a a, a very humble record collection, you know, maybe sort of, I don't know, thirty forty records. Um, you know, there was music around the place, but in all honesty, I wouldn't describe my upbringing as being a musical one. As I wouldn't describe my parents as being particularly musical, even though my mum obviously did a lot of music when she was younger in the life. Before, yeah, what before did your mum play? Uh, she played viola and piano. Wow. So she, well, she's English, right? So, um, you know, she played in like high school, like college, you know, orchestras and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, you know, she, she definitely, um, during her sort of, uh, teenage, you know, teenage years, um, played, played a bit of music. Are your parents both English? Yeah, both my parents, uh, from England, um, they Did they immigrated before you guys were born. Yes, they were ten pound palms, so they immigrated. <laughs> I can't remember what year it was. I I think obviously because I wasn't around. It was like, I think it was very late sixties. Okay. It might have even been sixty nine or something like that. And they moved to state. They came over from England. They they and they landed in Sydney, and that's where my two older brothers were born. Mm-hmm. In uh, seventy four and seventy five, and then Dad got a promotion, and they came to Perth, and that's when I was born in in seventy seven. But I, I think it must have been right at the very end of the sixties that they came over. So both sort of, you know, very typical British working class kind of people. Uh, Dad yeah. was Dad had just left the Merchant Navy. He he left high school, you know, when he was like fifteen or whatever. Joined the Merchant Navy and did that for like. 10 years or something and traveled wow. all, all around the world in the, you know, in the Navy. Um, 
and mum was you know went to teachers college and was a teacher and yeah I think and they mu- just music was her life yeah, music was her life kids. let's not forget <laughs> let's not forget um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh God, I I can I can I love that. I can talk about this freely because I'm I'm almost I'm almost one hundred percent sure that my mum will never hear this. <laughs> you yeah. never know. You never Parents know. Parents just true. come yeah. up in the weirdest places. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I guess she's on Facebook, so. Oh God. Um, my my parents haven't done that yet, thankfully. They're not on Facebook yet. Not yet. Hey, I just realised that you and I both um, were you know long term uh, band members with our older brother. Yeah. Yeah. Drummers. Did you find that difficult? Yeah, drum our drummer but, brothers. Uh, yeah, older brother drummers. Yeah. Older brother drummers, 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 older brother drummers. It's actually I thought it would be harder, but it's not to say yeah, it's that. Not um, hard. No. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, I I I always loved it, you know. That's again a like I think the sort of the the kind of rock and roll story that people have always loved is the idea of, you know, the the cliche of the the war, the brothers in a band that are constantly fighting, you know, yeah, you know, rock and roll history is full of those kind of stories, and people sure. really, people really love it. My reality was was not like that at all. I mean, me and Brett, nor was mine. Yeah, I mean, we we got on really well, and I actually many times. I mean, that's not to say he doesn't piss me off from time to time, <laughs> frustrate me, and all that kind of stuff. Um, sure, but we're neither of us have ever, you know, been the the type of people that are going to throw punches at each other um and you know there are in fact quite a few times particularly in the early years where I actually was really glad to have a family member on the road yeah, with me, me because whenever I was going through any heavy kind of times I had a bit of that kind of family I had that family support kind of wherever I went yeah um, yeah which, I feel the same yeah I, I, and that like old older brother drummer protection yeah, well, I mean, it might be different for you guys because my, with me and Brett, our relationship, even though he's my older brother by three years. Older I brother guess, drummer. Older brother drummer by three years. Um, he, I mean, he's, he's, he's a, 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 got that sort of older brother thing in some respects, but in other respects, I, I, I'm like the older brother in, in other ways. Um, okay. Like, because he's quite sort of, he's very, he's protective and he's nurturing uh, but he's also very lazy. Oh. Um, <laughs> so, so um, yeah, yeah I that's mean, a bit different. My brother is very protective. He's much smarter than me. <laughs> he's, and he's much bigger than me. So I feel like he's, he was always, you know, he was always there if I ever got hassled by anyone right. at a show. Or um, I once got this sort of ties into the story that. Um, you know, I ask people to tell their one of their weirdest yeah. show stories. One of my weirdest ones was I we were second and were playing this show. Uh, I think maybe it was a, an all ages show in Brisbane, and out of nowhere, I suddenly got fire hosed. So there's this kid what? on the <laughs> this kid on the side of the stage, who I later found out was on acid, <laughs> and he like had just turned on like fully just... turned on a fire hose <gasps> and had like just fire hosed me from the side so You're it was just kidding. like this extreme like water in the face wow out of nowhere moment whereabouts did that happen uh it was at this place called the lion's den which i don't think exists anymore it was a place in the city in brisbane um yeah in brisbane 
and it was like an afternoon show and um, I think Sakidan were headlining and it was just so fucking weird. Like I just suddenly had this like all this water in my face. <laughs> anyway, Mirko jumped over his drum kit and just like it was like he was a fucking bird. Like he's like soared <laughs> over his drum, drum kit <laughs> and just grabbed this guy by the scruff of the neck. Uh, like turned off the fire hose and wow. was just yelling at him. It was amazing. Wow. But what really pissed me off about the whole thing was was that, I mean, water got on my keyboards and stuff, which is annoying. But I, yeah. like, I looked around to Mirko and Simon afterwards and I was drenched from head to toe and they were completely dry. <laughs> so it, like, just got me. <laughs> anyway, that, that's a good older brother drama story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, I, I'm really glad that I got to sort of, go through and continue to go through the experiences of being in a band and, and growing up through the through that sort of musical yeah in that in that kind of musical world with with yeah. with a family member I, yeah I, it's I, lovely I'm really grateful for it yeah um so let's go back to um when you were a kid um when did you start so you started sort of tinkering on the piano when did you start playing guitar and wanting to be in a band um, well, I, I started, I, I clearly remember when I was in my last year of primary school, so that, which in Perth at that time was years, you know, when you're in year seven and it was the year that I turned 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was starting to write songs just in my imagination, you know, um, yeah. just in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know how to play any instrument, but I was coming up with these songs and I still remember the very first song that I came up what with was in my it? imagination. It was called, it was called Steam on the Mirror. Now, <laughs> um, <clears throat> I, I think like we'd recently been on a, on a, a short a family vacation to Hong Kong. Mm. Um, gone there for a couple of weeks and, and th- I, I'd bought a lot of, um, you know, uh, black market cassette tapes, you know, just, for like two dollars a pop, you know, you buy these these dubbed versions yeah. of, of of these tapes, and and so I, I came home with all these tapes, like, and they were all like, you know, uh, being the sort of prepubescent boy that I was, it was like Jimmy Barnes, ACDC, <laughs> you know, yeah, Kiss, rock, all rock this and sort roll. of generic, generic kind of um, rock and roll music. Um, the standards, you know, the kind of rock and roll that a prepubescent boy sure. who, who's never really listened to much rock and roll <laughs> before buys. <laughs> um, so I think it was very much influenced by that because um, it, it kind of, you know, it, uh, it had a bit of a blue. It was it was basically a bluesy, a blues kind of riff, and uh, and it had and it alluded to a a sort of sexual a sexuality that I was still yet to still yet to experience in real life. Um, so that, that, the steam on the mirror and it went, it went, uh, <laughs> it went a little something like this. <clears throat> there was steam in the mirror in the bedroom last night. There was steam on the mirror in the bedroom last night. There was steam. <laughs> So obviously, you know, alluding to the fact that you know things got pretty hot and heavy last night. Yeah. In the bedroom. Wow. Uh, and you were thirteen. I was. I was. Tur- I was. I think I just turned twelve. 
So, oh, wow. So, yeah, basically just a 12-year-old's kind of imagination of what... Little sexy song. A sex song would be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, but you know, cleverly, cleverly, I I wrote about you know, the not the act itself, but just what I imagined because you know obviously the act itself was something that I I, I had no idea what what what, what happened. Um, yeah, sure. But uh, just sort of. Have you ever listened to that Mortified podcast where it's adults reading their childhood diaries? Oh, no. This, no. this feels a little bit like that. <laughs> like people don't really know what anything means back yeah. then, but it's it's rude. They know it's rude. Yeah, and exciting. <laughs> like, it's great, yeah. Um, I love it. So, yeah, so I still remember that. And, and so I think what happened was the following year when I started high school, there was an option to learn like to do guitar, six, like a six, one semester of guitar lessons. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think I just decided, look, you know, I've, I'm writing these songs in my head. I need to learn an instrument so that I can kind of make them materialise, you know, make them real. Um, yeah. So I did a, a semester of guitar lessons and I also did a semester of uh, keyboard lessons as well um at, that was just offered by my the, the high school that I went to um and I, I got an A for keyboard and nice. a B for guitar <laughs> but I chose I, ch- I chose guitar because I think I just enjoyed it more yeah. with 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 keyboard I did the classic thing you know of like whenever I was being tested or whatever I, I just learnt all the songs by ear yeah you know and which I know it's a really common childhood yeah, story of learning too. music yeah, um, so I could learn everything by ear and play it and everything, but as soon as the teacher pointed to somewhere on the page and said, play from that bit, <laughs> I would have absolutely no idea. <laughs> what, and, that, and that's how they knew that I, was, I wasn't actually learning to read yeah. the music. Um, but, yeah, guitar was, I think I just enjoyed the guitar more, um, so I stuck with that, even though my music teacher probably thought that perhaps, you know, Keyboard was more my um, my strength, um, but you know, and guitar was it was at that age too. I'm sure. Whilst I can't specifically remember thinking this, I'm sure that a part of my thinking was probably like the guitar's cooler. Yeah, you definitely know. cooler. I probably yeah. wanted wanted <laughs> wanted to kind of bask in some of the guitar's you know secondhand glory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did yeah. you what? So did you? Were your guitar heroes still like ACDC and uh, and those tapes that you got? No, no. I di- I didn't. I didn't have guitar heroes. You oh. know, the thing like when I started learning songs and stuff, it was you know really really nerdy stuff like Don McLean and <laughs> Billy Joel and um, just the stuff that was lying you know that from my parents' record collection and um, and you know and like Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. And stuff. I like I. You know, there was the part of me that I guess the, you know, I, the rock and roll thing didn't really kind of hit me until a bit later. Um, okay. At that age, at that age, I was still pretty kind of, still pretty innocent and trying to write kind of, you know, <laughs> heartfelt, <laughs> heartfelt kind of songs. But I didn't feel not... sexy teenage songs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going through a lot of, you know, things. I was evolving quickly, so I was sure, evolving quickly. Sure. <laughs> but um, yeah, the, like I, 
I think when I first started into rock and roll, it was probably about, you know, a couple of years into high school. And then, you know, when, when Rat Cat and then quickly after that, Nirvana. And, yeah. And then I just became a fucking total alternative grunge rock and roll cliche, you know. Um, <laughs> I, I basically just tried to look like Kurt Cobain. I had the I had the blonde hair, so all I had to do was kind of, you know, grow it long and wear and buy shitty clothes from Good Sammy's and <laughs> I had the look. It was a very accessible look. This is the great thing about yeah, about that musical yeah. yeah, about that musical culture. It's like anybody could appropriate it, you know? It was anti glamour and, and, and yeah. you know, anti fashion in a way. If Definitely. That's yeah. That's probably a, a probably a not even a real thing, but there was definitely, there was definitely a lot of, there was definitely a distinct grunge fashion, but it was very easy to acquire. Yes. As, but did you already have the, um, like Simon Garfunkel finger picking stuff down when you got into grunge? Oh, no. No, you didn't? No way. No way. No, no. No. Because you're a pretty amazing finger picker now. Oh, (laughs) did you have to, (laughs) there's a little bit more piss for your pocket. Thank you. No, there's still there's still room. Um, there's always room. Um, now the finger picking thing. No, that's something that I uh, took. You know, I didn't really sort of start to really do properly until well into my twenties, probably. Okay. Um, All right. So let's go back to. Um, so you, when you started playing in bands, you're in high school then. Yeah. So that, and 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 this just this, the time when I met Chris and Vanessa, and Jebs. We you know we did theatre. We were in the, well, me and Chris were in the same year and we were quickly became, you know, really, really good mates. And Ness was a couple of years above us, but mm-hmm. she was the same, the same age. She was in the same year as my brother and Chris's sister. And we all did theatre arts. Um, we were in this theatre uh, group that, you know, so we, we kind of hung out doing theatre. and Okay. That's how we all sort of became friends. So we were friends for quite a few years before the, Jeb and I actually kind of got together. But, yeah, so me and Chris were getting together and, like, learning Nirvana songs and, um, you know, Pearl Jam songs and <laughs> Weezer songs and yeah. all of those, you know, Lemon Hairs, UMI, um, learning all these covers, you know, on weekends and stuff. And then I think sort of right at the end of high school, because I'd been sort of writing all through my high school years and it wasn't until sort of towards the end of high school where one day I kind of showed Chris a song and he really liked it and that's when we changed, what you know, we stopped learning other people's songs and started writing our own. Um, yeah. And that was kind of the when we shifted our, our kind of focus away from trying to ape, you know, the stuff. Well, we were, I guess we were still kind of copying <laughs> the stuff that we liked. <laughs> yeah. We just weren't rip, We just weren't directly learning the songs, we were just kind of, you know, re, re-moulding them. Sure. Pushing, pushing them through our own little kind of music-making machine. and Yeah. And um, did, were you collaborating or were you sort of, yeah. Um, yeah? Yeah, well, Chris was a much better guitar player than me and wasn't really interested in singing. Um, so it was a very natural kind of, you know, lead guitar and, I, yeah. and me being the sort of, singing rhythm guitarist thing and um and when Jeb's properly formed that was when we'd finished high school and in our first year of uni and at that point Ness was a guitar player you know like she was a guitarist and we 
just asked her if if she'd be interested in you know picking up the bass guitar and you know being starting a band with us and she said yes straight away and I don't think she's I think like she went and bought a bass guitar and I don't think she's touched a six string guitar <laughs> like seriously and it's pretty wow. amazing like she like she just one day because she'd been playing proper guitar on oh, proper guitar sorry she'd been playing real <laughs> she'd been playing the real guitar <laughs> Oh God! I can't believe Hopefully, I said that. she never listens to this either. <laughs> I should, yeah, I'm sure she'd find it funny. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so she'd been playing the six string guitar variety um, <laughs> for years, you know. I mean, and, and at that point in time, she would have been a better guitarist than me, probably. And and yeah, she just switched over to bass and never, and just never looked back. She never went back to wow. But was yeah. she a good guitarist? Like, did she... yeah, she was good. Yeah, ah. yeah, she was better. Like I said, she'd been she'd been playing longer than me. She was much more accomplished guitar player than me. Um, but you know, I think she was just I, I think um, she just probably just wanted to, you know. Ness is the kind of person that, you know, is she just loves to be a part of something that's fun. Yeah, <laughs> she sees there's see an opportunity that. to to be a part of something fun. Then she'll be like, and yeah, sure, I'll yeah. do that. Yeah. yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's pretty much how she approached it, you know. Yeah. Uh, if we'd have asked her to be the drummer, she probably said, all right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if we'd asked her to be the singer, she probably would have said, ah, uh, no. <laughs> that's, that's where my, you know, that's where my footloose and fancy free attitude ends. <laughs> she never sings. Even when we did, when we did school productions, and she would always be in, there'd be all the group singing. She yeah. used to, and I, I didn't know it at the time. She only told me this years later. She used to just mime. She used to just like, <clears throat> she didn't actually sing. She was just so, like, <laughs> you know. Um, I guess she just was really self conscious about her voice. Oh, have you ever heard her sing? No, oh. never. Never. Does Chris no. sing? I don't think I see him sing either. Yeah, yeah, Chris sings. Yeah. Does he sing you in know, jerbs a bit? Uh, when the mood takes him, so like, <laughs> <laughs> put, it, put it this way, he, uh, you know, when he doesn't feel like singing, he, he won't go near the mic. Yeah. But, you know, if he's had a few, <laughs> then uh, <laughs> can't get him off the fucking thing. <laughs> I was going to say, I think I just have memories of him, do, you know, doing some of the shouty bits. Yeah. But I'm not yeah. sure I've, I've heard him do, like, you know, like a harmony or something. No. Me <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I mean, yeah. it's just with Jeb with 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 Jeb and I, it's kind of you know, everybody's allowed to kind of we're all very kind of um, you know, we all like to let each other enjoy ourselves. That's um, nice. Without and and we will kind of, uh, what am I trying to say here? Like you'd have to really be fucking things up before somebody said, ah, you know. Maybe not, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a, I think that's an excellent um, way to be in a band. I think you wouldn't, want, you wouldn't want to be in a band where someone was constantly like shooting dirty looks at you or something. And I know that happens yeah. a lot more oh, than you think. All the time. Fuck yeah. yeah. So did you, when you sort of started Jebediah, did that, that all happen really quickly, didn't it? And you were like suddenly like winning band competitions or something. Is that right? 
Yeah, so we, so the band kind of started in 95. And I've, yeah, so me and Chris had just started uni. And I think our first gig was in like about May of 95. And um, we we entered this university band competition, the sort of Battle of the Bands competition. Yeah. And it was, and we just, like, we'd hardly played any gigs. We'd only played like a handful of gigs and, you know, we just kept winning. We won this heat and we won the state final. Then we went, did our first ever interstate trip to we, the uh, national final was in at, in Lismore, at the university in Lismore. Lismore. Uh, <laughs> 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 and we won that as well. And we just, like, we, um, yeah, I mean, we, I, I can only imagine that we won based on our potential more than <laughs> what was actually going on because we were still very, very, very amateurish. I mean, well, I mean, we always have been a little bit. Um, but were you, you know, playing those songs though that that sort of made it onto the first album? The first, yeah. In fact, the first time we ever played our first, sing- the very first single we put out, which is a song called "Jerks of Attention." The first time we ever played that song live was at that. Um, Campus Band National Final. Wow! Um, in Lismore. In at Lismore. What's the uni there? I can't. I can't remember. I don't know what the name of the uni it's is. It's all a bit scary down in Lismore. Have you got? You've got a. I can sense you've got some. Um, you've got some negative vibes about Lismore. I so. do. I've got negative vibes. What I can't. I can't quite put it? my finger on it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just. I think it's just one of those places I've maybe been, like followed around by hoons or something or I don't know I just have a bad bad vibes bad energy in Lismore for me but you know I'm glad you won your band competition (laughs) (laughs) we fucking loved Lismore (laughs) we loved it we had the time of our lives um and yeah and then what what eventuated after that was that like a major sort of thing where you you get to record or well um, it was a major thing because it was like the way that we hooked up with our then manager, his name is Heath. Um, he was a judge at one of the earlier at one of the earlier heats in Perth. That's when he and he sort of said, "Hey, you know, like, do you want I'll, I'll offered to be our booking agent?" And then he very quickly became our manager. But um, so it was by doing the Canvas Bands competition that we um met him uh, and got a manager and a booking agent just locally in Perth. And then, yeah, I guess winning the that competition, it just meant we were able to get gigs pretty easily yeah. in Perth. We were able to play all the time and we got lots of really good supports, you know, when they were touring bands over from the East Coast, like Tumbleweed and UMI and that yeah. sort of stuff. We, but we got a lot of those kind of gigs and, you know, we played at Somersault Festival. and Oh, yeah. Um, you were one of the opening bands there, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. That's Which such was, an, uh, that was my absolute first festival I ever went to because yeah, I think just, I would have been about 15 and right. it was just the best line so ever. <coughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's Pavement, Beck, Sonic Youth. Yeah, uh, Beastie Boys. Beastie the Boys, Amps. The Amps, Rancid. Foo Fighters, the, first time in fuck, Australia. Foo Fighters, yeah. yeah. Insane. Absolutely insane. Yeah, it was so crazy. Yeah, so that was at the start of 96, you know, so the band was less than a year old when we, that was our first kind of festival experience but yeah by that point in time like that's when record labels and stuff started to come and check us out and um and there was just it it was also there was this 
post silver chair thing going on, right? Where everybody was trying to find in inverted commas the next silver chair. Yeah, um, right. Because silver chair, you know, conquered the world, and um, everybody was looking for the next. Just you know, who was going to be the next Australian band, and we. We were one of those bands that kind of got swept a lot up on in the, along in that wave, you know. Oh, um, really? And obviously, <laughs> it never happened. Nobody became the next silver chair, you know. No. That that shit just it doesn't really happen. But I, I think that's just kind of the mind, like that's just the attitude of how, you know, a lot of people in the music industry. Kind of, you know, that's where they think. You know, when they see something become really successful, they all kind of suddenly start kind of getting excited. Well, they want to replicate it. That's yeah. right. They want to find, they want to try and find their own version of it. And, and yeah. so we were signed to Murmur, which was Silverchair's label, which was a Sony subsidiary label and um, with something for Kate and uh, Blue Bottle Kiss on that label too. And um, and then, yeah, like it just, it, look, it all happened yeah, really, really fast. Well, so did you get pushed by your label to go overseas immediately then, sort of to follow in Silverchair's footsteps a bit? Well... Or were you just sort of playing in Australia mainly? Yeah, we were just playing in Australia. We didn't... I think maybe right at the end, only after the that first record we put out had sort of become a very successful record in, in Australia. It was only towards the end of that that we started going overseas. But the weird thing was, I think we were up for it, but... um. And I think when we signed a, a world, a, like a, a deal to Sony Worldwide, being naive as we were, you know, we were still, I, I mean, I was still a teenager when that first record came out. Um, yeah. I just, I just kind of assumed that that meant that Sony were going to release the record worldwide. I thought that's what a worldwide wide deal meant. Yeah. Um, but then I came to realise that, no, that it meant that, Sony owned the rights to it throughout the world, but if they didn't want to put it out, they didn't have to, and they also it also prevented you from being released by anybody else. Yeah. So you're kind of locked in. And that's kind of what happened. I mean, the record got released in Japan and New Zealand, and that's it. Um, America, Europe, they didn't... They just weren't interested, and we just didn't... You know, there wasn't an opportunity to, to do anything. Um and that was pretty much the case. That was that's pretty much our international story, you know. Um, just sort of being locked into a a major label deal, and just never having someone from those major labels in North America or Europe, or just having like a champion, you know, like somebody going, oh, I love this band, and I'm gonna work really hard to try and make something happen." Yeah, um, it's such a shame when well, you worked so hard and you're sort of up for it. Yeah, I think we were up for it. But, you know, at the same time, looking back, I, I, I'm kind of philosophical about it. Like, you know, in a lot of ways, I just don't know if we were the type of band that were... I mean, I wasn't a very polished singer. We weren't like a... We were pretty rough around the edges, you know. And maybe, you know, you look at, like, bands from Australia that have been successful overseas, they're all a lot more polished than what yeah, Jebediah have ever been. I mean, been. not necessarily. I think I, I think the, a real turning point for me, um, thinking about polished bands, is when I saw Blink-182 play. Yeah. And they, they were so bad. Like yeah. they were 
so rubbish. None of them could really play in time. They were singing terribly. Yeah. But they, you know, they played to like, you know, 10,000 people or whatever. Yeah. Um, and you kind of think, well, it's, I think it's more about the attitude. Like they have their yeah. attitude and it was like this like kind of funny, like a comedy act on stage and... Um, you know, that's why people like to go see them play, not necessarily that they sounded yeah. great. Yeah. So, and then I kind of, I think that really made me feel better about <laughs> like being a bit shit. <laughs> you know, you kind of go, well, it, like it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter as long as you've got the attitude or as long as your heart's in the right place. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, I mean, I, I, I can imagine that, you know, just listening to our band on record, particularly that first one, you know, it it wasn't... I think we were probably the kind of band that you had to see live to kind of... kind of. I, I think playing live was probably where we were sort of... where we represented ourselves the best, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, making... We weren't... When we went in to make a record, we had no idea what we were doing and we weren't really very good at it and we weren't good at it for a long time. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Look, I, I just sort of think, look, maybe we, you know, we just weren't, you know, the right kind of band or maybe we just weren't good enough on record to um, to have that, you know, to kind of get that break overseas. And so it just never happened. And um, so, yeah, it's kind of like I suppose now that looking back and realising full well that, that time has passed. I guess it's the only like I'm. I'm really proud of everything the band has achieved and everything we've done, and I suppose just having some kind of international kind of something significant happen internationally. The fact that that's never happened is probably the only kind of box that's left kind of unchecked. Yeah. You know? But um, that's a tough. It's a tough one to check. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, look, there's. So many Austra- great Australian bands, you know, that I, you know, have just look up to and admire, and 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 that Jeb and I aren't fit to fucking polish their boots, and and they uh, <laughs> they haven't um, had this, you know, they haven't necessarily achieved the kind of overseas success that they deserve either, and um, yeah, so you know. Yeah, it's just one of those. It it happens all the time. So yeah, it does. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and I think especially in Australia because we're just so fucking far away. I think it's, you know, you really have to. It's so expensive to go anywhere, even to give it a go. It feels like though that um, now, like there are a lot of Australians like killing it overseas. There are a lot of yeah. Australians doing really, really well. I mean, like Flume and. Yeah, um, I just saw that he got like a two Grammy nominations. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> I think it's maybe the environment is a bit more conducive now because a because of you know the internet and everything that that's bred yeah. like social media and all that kind of stuff, which didn't exist back then, and also I think that bands that bands are a lot smarter with how they interact with labels you know they're a lot smarter about what they sign away um and they know that they that you know have signing directly to a major label in australia isn't necessarily their best track like their best track forward for 
an international, you know, to have a chance of doing stuff internationally, like an independent. There are so many examples now of, yeah, of in- definitely. independent success stories. Uh, back in the late 90s, there just weren't. There just weren't no. those stories. They're like independent. It, it was It was just common. It was a common held belief that in order to have a career outside of Australia or even in Australia in, in, to, a, to an extent, you had to be signed to a major label. That was the only way to do it. Um, whereas yeah, that's right. Now that's just blown out of the water and um, and almost to the extent where I would kind of think you're almost, well, I guess I, it's, I couldn't kind of, it's not as simple as this, but I'd almost kind of, suge- I would suggest in a lot of cases that remaining independent was actually, to, would actually be more to your benefit, you know. Because yeah, then I you agree. Can, if, if you really want to like, you know, go hard overseas. Um, so yeah, well, it's more it's more sort of up to the person, you know, rather than up to the third party. That's right. When you're independent. That's right. Which yeah. is way way better for some kind of personalities, but maybe not so well. That's not right. Not so good for others. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like every kind of artist and band and whatever is different and, and have different needs and all that mm. kind of stuff. But but yeah, I I definitely think that now. That it's a lot of the doors have kind of been blown off their hinges, and 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 I think that's really exciting for you know new bands now because yeah for sure yeah, there are there are opportunities there that, that that weren't previously there. Yeah, how was um how did you feel when you got signed to Murma? Oh, I mean, it was we were excited. I mean, we yeah, I mean because we just it was. It was Silverchair's label and I guess we kind of, you know, thought... And also the people that signed us, like John O'Donnell and, you know, the, the people that involved in that label were really, really cool and, you know, he's somebody that has kind of really stuck by me throughout, you know, well well after Jebediah had left Sony. and um, So, yeah, they're really good people that were at that label and, um, and, you know, like we were... We had a lot of success on that first record and, and that's... yeah you know, far more success than we ever imagined that we deserved or or would have. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, it was it was exciting. But at the same time, we also, it was, we were still so young and so fucking naive and clueless. We didn't really have, an, we didn't really understand or appreciate what was going on. I always think that when, when I think back on myself back in, when I played in Sekida and like, we're all so young and so naive but I don't think I'd want to approach it knowing what I know now because I I probably would have made it really boring you know like I would have been really careful do you think that too yeah definitely I've I've thought that a lot yeah I wouldn't change I wouldn't change that side of things attitude it was yeah we were having so much fun you know and we were it was just we were it was just a party you know and we were all at the center of this kind of crazy you know whirlwind and and you know we were too busy having a good time to kind of take <laughs> anything too seriously now you know i could also kind of look back and go oh, maybe if we'd been a little bit more kind of cluey and um you know maybe we we might have been able to kind of take certain opportunities by the throat a little bit more but it, fuck you know fuck it like i it's countered by the fact like you say that you know people like the way that we were as a band, it was very, um, <laughs> you know, it was completely honest. And I'm sure that, 
people that got into our band recognised that, you know, that we were just... Yeah, for sure. It was really fun. I mean, it was fun just watching you guys um, every night on that tour because it looked like all of you were having such a great time. Yeah, yeah, we... We um, we we definitely didn't leave. I mean, <laughs> we did. We partied pretty. When I look back and I just think, fucking hell! Like, <laughs> we definitely gave it a good shake. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Well, I just sent you like some of those photos I found the other day of of us on that tour. I'm pretty sure all of us just just look drunk a hundred percent of the time. That whole tour, oh, yeah. we were all just like all of our eyes are like half closed. <laughs> yeah, that was just the beginnings. So, yeah, just the beginning. <laughs> that was at the start of the night. But yeah, look, you know, we all we all came out of it, and you know, we're still we're we're still going, and we, no one died. You know, we were, no one kind yeah. of you know we 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 came out of it all right. You know and. Um, better than all right, you know. So I know that you probably get asked this a lot, but um, when you started going solo, you obviously wanted to um, disassociate from your previous work and therefore created this alter ego. Mm. Um, why did you want to disassociate? Um, I guess I was. I wanted to do stuff that was completely different to Jebediah. Um, and I was also very conscious about not wanting to ride on the coattails of the band. You know, I, um, I didn't want to just start doing gigs as Kevin Mitchell from Jebediah and yeah, for people to come along and expect me to just be playing Jebediah songs on an acoustic guitar. And, um, that was never what I wanted to do. So, um, so, yeah, like calling myself Bob Evans, which is, you know, I guess it's worked in some ways and it hasn't in others. But if, if, I'd, <laughs> if I'd realised that, it, you know, that 10 years later I would have made a bunch of albums and it would have kind of turned into its own career, then I would have probably put a bit more effort into a, a name. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's a very lazy name and... Um, which again, I mean, it's just because I had absolutely no I, ambition for it to become what it ended up becoming, and so yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just my idea was that when I started doing Bob Evans gigs was to be kind of incognito, you know. So when yeah. I, and I literally for years in Perth, I just played shows to my housemates and the bar staff, you know, I'd play <laughs> gig after gig after gig, um, to. Nobody. And would, were you just doing that for f- fun? Yeah. Well, I guess yeah, for fun and and a, a compulsion. You know, I was, I was obviously the same kind of compulsion that led me to want to do Jebediah. I was, I was writing songs at home, and they were very diff- They didn't. They weren't Jebediah songs. They didn't fit into that. And I, I wanted to. Yeah, I guess I would like Jebediah. You know, when you've got like. Four people playing guitars, bass and drums in a rock band. I mean, I don't know, like I think Jebs were really, really good at being Jeb and I. Um Yeah. But we're not the kind of band that could just kind of reinvent ourselves, you know? Um I just don't you know, it's just not us, you know. Um, which isn't a 
I'm not, which isn't a slight on the band. It's just the way it is. Um, no, yeah, you are what you are. Yeah. Um. So. So yeah, I mean, I knew that like I couldn't introduce all these like acoustic, slightly country country folk songs into Jabbar <laughs> and go, hey guys, you know, I've got a I've got an idea for the direction of the next Jabbar record, and because they nobody would have been interested in that. Um, so yeah, I, I just it was kind of like starting again, and. And yeah, Did like, you feel self-conscious to start again? Totally. I used to get so fucking nervous before gigs. Um, and then this is, like I said, like playing like 15 people at, at a pub. And yeah. At a time when Jeb and I were doing really, really well, um, I was, you know, just having to pop emodiums before every show yes. so that I didn't <laughs> shit my pants. Like, it's just <laughs> terrible. I was so nervous. Way more nervous than I would get... Did you get stage fright? Yeah, did you get stage fright for Jebs? No, not really. No, I think I was always, I think just being going up on stage with your your gang, you know, it kind of yeah, it does give you a inflated, <laughs> inflated <laughs> sense of uh, confidence. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. and then you by by yourself is very vulnerable, isn't it? Yeah, and I think probably like part of. That is probably due to to the material. I mean, Jebediah stuff. I mean, there are early Jebediah songs that were very much written from the heart, uh, but there were also other songs that were just kind of just fun songs about nothing. You know? Yeah, sure. Um, whereas with the solo stuff, you know, I was probably, well, not probably, I was, um, you know, I was using it as a as an avenue to you know, write confessional kind of deeply personal kind of songs. Um, and just had to obviously just, I was, and when I started doing that stuff too, I mean, that was only a few years into the, I think I started doing Bob Evans gigs in like 98 or something. So the Jebs were only like three years old and it was pretty early on really. Yeah. Um, well, that's way earlier than I thought. Yeah. Well, I was doing it for, like I said, I, I didn't make a record till 2003, so it was a good five years of just, like, playing these incognito gigs to nobody, um, which, you know, which was good. It was what I needed to do because when I first started, I was shit. Um, <laughs> so I I needed five years of, of, <laughs> of that under my belt to just to get confident again. Um, but, yeah, I think I was just obviously, like I said before, just really compelled to get that, you know, to get that stuff out and to kind of explore explore that that side of things. And then when did you realise, oh, shit, I think this is now a, its its own beast? Um, well, what happened was when I, I, I made a re The first Bob Evans record I made, yeah, in 2003, after, in between the third and fourth Jebediah records. And while we were making the fourth Jebediah record, I was demoing new Bob Evans songs at home. And um, and there was just this weird sort of set of circumstances happened whereby Jebs had reached the 10-year mark of the band and we were all, we'd made four records and, you know, our popularity had really started to wane. Um, we you know, and I th we were all just starting to get pretty burnt out 
and yeah. felt like we needed a break before, you know, before we started to kind of resent the band, you know. <laughs> sure, um, yeah. So, and at the same time that that happened, I was demoing for the next Bob Evans record and uh, John O'Donnell, the man who signed Jeb's to Murmur way back in, you know, 96 or whatever, heard the demos. He was, by this time he was at EMI and he really liked the demos and wanted to, to sign me to EMI. And so then I ended up, you know, on a plane to Nashville. And I guess once I'd got back, because by this stage, Jeb and I had been dumped from Sony. We were an independent band right. and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. Was that you? Had you already released an album on Redline we had. at that point? Yeah, yeah. Our, our fourth record was our, our first independent. And um, then all of a sudden I'm back in the major label world again on my own as Bob Evans and making a record in Nashville. And I guess then I, that's yeah. when I started to realise, okay, well, I still didn't, I still kind of thought, oh, look, you know, if I can sell enough records just to kind of tour around and uh, I'll, I'll be happy um but then that rec like that record when i came back from national it came out in like 2006 and um and yeah just got played i'll, I'll i got a lot of commercial like the first thing we got played on commercial radio which i hadn't you know commercial radio i'd never really touched jebbed eye much in the past yeah um was I, that what was that don't you think it's time yeah i yeah. remember when that came out and I remember thinking, wow, that's like, yeah, you've you've written a gem. It was supposed to, I thought that the song that was the best song on the record was the song we put out after that called Nowhere Without You. And uh, Don't You Think It's Time was always supposed to be like, you know, the kind of introduction and and then you hit them with the fucking hit single <laughs> after that. So I, I had absolutely no, uh, you know, I didn't, I wasn't expecting you know, for it to kind of do what it did. And and then from that point on, yeah, then I guess then it, Bob Evans kind of became like my job, my kind of my career, so to speak. And yeah. Jeb and I had all this time off and, um, yeah, and then it was just, I don't know, I guess things changed a lot and it took a, it took a few things were kind of a bit wobbly on their axis and it took a little while. <laughs> for things to kind of straighten out again. And by that, I mean, like, when Jeb and I sort of got back together and and then we made uh, another record and, 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 you know, again, like, that record did better than we were expecting. And for the last few years, it's kind of felt like now I have this awesome balance between the two. You know, yeah. like I, I can do Bob and I can do Jebs and I can kind of do them simultaneously but completely separately. They have their own audience. They have their own completely their own different atmosphere and vibe. Um, yeah. And but it's just, you know, there's a balance whereas up until probably five years ago it was always, there was no balance at all. It was just all one or all the other. Yeah. Um, so and was there ever a conflict with the Jebs? band members or were they all sort of happy to have a bit of a break? Um, yeah, look, I don't know. I guess it's a hard one for me to answer. I I think I th they were all, you know, always really, really supportive and never ever did anybody ever show any signs of being upset or, you know, or 
felt like I'd kind of, you know, abandoned them or whatever. Um, so, yeah, they were all really, really good about it. And yeah, I think they kind of, I like to think that they sort of understood that I'd sort of done everything that I could to make it as separate to Jebediah as possible and yeah, and that sure. I, I hadn't traded on on what, you know, I didn't want to kind of benefit, I didn't want to kind of take any kind of individual benefit from the all the years of work that the four of us had done together, you know. And I think yeah. they, I think they got that and so, yeah, it was, and, yeah, but I, I think it was really, really important that Jeb's made another record that which we did yeah. and and like I said, I think ever since then, everything's just felt kind of imbalanced again. That's great. And then you've also had other band. Well, you had the Basement Birds, mm-hmm. um, and you've also done some other collabs since then. Um, what brought that on? Did you feel like you didn't have enough projects? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's just it's funny. Like you know, in the in the year, in the three years before I started a family, I put out a record every year. I put out a Bob album in two thousand nine. I did the Basement Birds thing in two thousand ten. The last yeah. Jebediah record in two thousand eleven, and and then started a family and have only put out two records since. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's I, still quite a lot. Yeah, I know, but they're both you know they're both solo records, so they're kind of the easiest ones to make because they don't involve other people. But um, yeah, so I. Look, I think it was just, I was, uh, sometimes I kind of look, at the time I was kind of thinking to myself, fuck, I wonder if like I'm a, I wonder if I'm a workaholic because I, I don't feel like, a, <laughs> I don't feel like one. Most of the time I kind of feel like I'm kind of, not lazy, but that I, sh- I, I should be working harder. Um, yeah. And yeah, like, but then I remember during that period of time just thinking like, having sort of starting to kind of question like, oh, am I one of those people that kind of is addicted to work? Um, <laughs> and, but yeah, I, I don't know, maybe certainly since, like I said, since having kids, I definitely don't spend as much time kind of away touring or making records and that kind of stuff. But um, Do you find you have to be really selective now of what yeah. you say yes to? Yes to? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a totally new challenge of, that's right, you know, you can't, I, I'm, I'm still learning to say no to stuff. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm it's really, so hard. I'm really bad at saying no to stuff because I just, I've always kind of felt like I can't afford to say no to stuff. I've got to say yes to everything because, you know, I, I'm not in it, like, you've got to, you got to stay, well, you got to stay earning money, and you've also got to stay, kind of, in people's faces and all that kind of stuff. Like I, it's really hard for me to um, turn stuff down. Yeah, I think it's just you sort of. I think I, well, for me personally, as I get older, I sort of I'm still really bad at it, but I've started sort of realizing that there's only so much time in a day, and yeah. if I if I get if I if someone asks me to do something and I instantly feel anxious, that's a pretty good right. sign th- that I shouldn't do it. Right, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's interesting because yeah, I, that definitely makes me realise that I'm still still <laughs> grappling with that because yeah, there's lots of times where I'll have that feeling, but I'll still say yes. 
and then I'll get <laughs> and then I'll it'll get closer to the time of having to do it, and I'll be like, oh, why did I say yes to this? Yeah, you know, like, but yeah. But, oh well, I definitely still do that. Yeah. But um. But yeah, I I find that that instant gut feeling. Um. You know, we should probably listen to it more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. True. Did you have that feeling when I talked to you about doing these podcasts? <laughs> no. I was, well, I I was probably or also like ten drinks in. <laughs> yeah. That's when I strike, Saya. That's when I strike. I wait till. I wait till someone's really drunk and then I say, hey, I've got a really great idea that involves you. <laughs> Actually, a really good example of when I should have said no was on Friday night when, when I saw you. Yeah. Um, just before you guys came over, um, someone had asked me to do an interview for the Go-Betweens documentary and okay. I really should have said no because I, I could feel myself just be a little bit too drunk to do it. And, <laughs> and afterwards I deeply regretted it. I had one of those Aww. moments when, you know, when you wake up the next day and you're like, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> I had I'm one sure of those. I'm sure it would have been fine. <laughs> oh, no. You would have been oh, fine. Well, I guess we'll find out when it comes out. Yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. Like, look, if it's any consolation, I have the, those moments all the time. And I'm sure <laughs> by the end, we, by the time we finish my podcast in like another hour or something, <laughs> I'm going to be pretty fucking drunk. <laughs> I, I definitely felt it on Friday. I was like, oh, fuck. I think I said something about, um, <laughs> I, think, I think they asked me what my favourite Go-Betweens album was and I said the one that I'm on the cover of. <laughs> <laughs> yes. How amazing is that? That's so fucked. That's, <laughs> I never say no, anything but that's, like that. But like, but that's the brilliant, that's the brilliant answer, Sarah. That's perfect. <laughs> because why wouldn't that be your favourite? I think that's probably my favourite, just because you're on the cover of it. Just because that whole thing situation is just is such a funny, so amazing <laughs> set of circumstances. Um, it is pretty funny. But, yeah, and then also, too, like, you know, you can, like, sometimes you can feel pressured to kind of, you know, be overly serious and overly sincere about things all the time. And, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, like, remind or just sort of saying things every now and then that is a reminder to yourself and everybody else that, you know, we don't need to take everything so seriously yeah. all the time. You know, Life's music a comedy. Is, that's right. <laughs> and music is... Music is fun, you know, it's supposed to be. It is fun, but you don't want to be a dick on camera, you know? No, but <laughs> I don't think you, you're, you don't need to worry about that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> There's plenty of people that are way ahead of you in the dickhead line, don't worry. You're, you're so far back. They ain't letting you in for like hours. Oh, thanks, Kev. I'm going to call you every time I feel like a dickhead. <laughs> I only know this because I'm further ahead in the line than you. And I'm looking back and I'm seeing you going, oh, you got ages to go. You're, you're miles behind. I'm, I'm, I can see the front door. I'm, I'm close enough to see the front door. <laughs> you are not. There's so many people in front of you. <laughs> Noel Gallagher's the god of, of that He's hilarious. World. He's so funny. <laughs> yeah. I, I've never been much of an Oasis fan, but I, I love his, reading his interviews. They me too. I love out. it. My favourite, my favourite, and, and I think this probably, I've seen it in a few sort of recycled and 
quite a lot of articles about Noel Gallagher, but um, but my favourite quote of his is in describing Liam, and he describes him as um, you know, he's like the angriest man in the world. Um, he's like a man with a fork in a world full of soup. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that's it. pretty great. I don't know. If, it's it's almost it's so good that I I wonder like is that an original or has he got that off somebody else because that, that is, is just, really good that's I'm like gonna Oscar start Wilde, using that. You know, that yeah is like, it is. that is that's it's very high, poetic that is high art <laughs> I think I read one the other day where they asked who his heroes were and he said his mum because he had she had to raise Liam yes that's a <laughs> good one he's so mean yeah yeah but, but then yeah, like he's... Liam sounds like a cock so that's yeah. right. I mean, Liam's just all kind of, he just, just doesn't have that kind of, he's just not witty. Yeah, he's not know? witty. He's just not, angry. Yeah. And he says, yeah, I don't know. He just come. his quotes are kind of just like, just too obviously yeah. inflammatory and kind of a bit dumb. But yeah, there's something about Noel that's just <laughs> very, very fucking funny. Um, yeah, I agree. Anyway, he's maybe Liam's at the front of the line. <laughs> I definitely think he'd be right at the front. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and you know what? He'd be like at the front kind of going, he'd be banging on the door saying, fucking let me in, you know, because he doesn't give a shit. And that's the yeah, thing. that's right. The people up the front, they're not looking behind they don't them. Care. That's yeah, right. they don't give a fuck. That's the problem with me. I'm always looking behind, going, oh, no. I know. Looking <laughs> over your shoulder. Me too, I'm man. looking over my shoulder. I know. you got to fucking keep that shit in check. I'm the same. <laughs> I, I do it way too much. Way too much. Uh, Kwan always tells me I need to give less fucks in life. Yeah. And I think there's a whole article written about it, which is really great. I mean, I'll send it to you after this. Okay. Um, about how to give less fucks. And... Um, I think we can all take a little something from that article. <laughs> Abso- yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's it's a good really, read. Yeah, and, and just that idea of, I mean, look, it just gets to the heart of the idea of, you know, just not care, not investing so much of your own emotional energy into yeah. trying to make everybody fucking like you because I it's know just, it's a challenge. It's, a, it's just, it's a fucking, it's just not, it's just not worth it, you know. Um, but, but yeah. I sort of I have this weird attitude if some if I know that someone has an issue with me or if I think they have an issue with me, I'm not the kind of person that goes oh well you know or I'll just leave them be. I'm the kind of person that goes, I'm gonna friend the shit out of that person. <laughs> <laughs> they won't even know what happened. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna friend the shit out of that person. <laughs> That's such a, that's amazing. I mean, that, but you know, like I get it. I mean, I, I probably wouldn't, I, yeah, like I, my reaction would probably be more, I'd just, I'd probably be scared off. I'd, I'd be just deeply hurt. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd be deeply hurt that they didn't like me and that I didn't understand why. Yeah. Um, that's stage one. Stage two. Friendly. Make them shit. your friend. <laughs> that's right. That's like, that's a, that's next level. That's. Yeah, I don't know where that comes from, but that's um, <laughs> that's how I roll. Um, <laughs> so I feel like it's time for me to hear your very um, secretive story yeah. of the weirdest 
show or the weirdest moment you've had because you play music. You've sort of drip fed me a couple yeah. of things and it's killing me. I really want to know what the story right. was. So <laughs> what, 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 um, what I thought we might do is um, if you, you know, if, if it's okay with you, this is your podcast after all. Um, <laughs> but so I, I'm going to, I'll talk about this, this gig um, but I'll, I'll give you, if, if it's okay, I'll give you a, a sort of condensed version. Okay. Sort of go through all the major points. And then I thought maybe what we could do is, because we, after we finish this, we're going to go straight into recording one of my podcasts. Yeah. And um, we can kind of, we can kind of like get a bit deeper into it there. And if people like, they, they could listen to this and then they can go listen to mine and, and, um, and just, you know, that, that's what I, that was my idea anyway. Great um, idea. Let's do it. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so there's this, there's this thing and I'm, I'm kind of glad I've, I, lately I've been waiting for the opportunity to kind of, you know, get this out because I've been carrying it, <laughs> I've been carrying it with me for, well, eight years. Um, Jeez. it's this, and it's been, I've kept it secret for eight years. Um, because at the time that I did this gig, I was deeply concerned that it would ruined my credibility and and that if people if people in Australia found out about it um I I would lose all credibility you know and this is eight years ago when Triple J still played me um <laughs> <laughs> now, now they don't you know and you know I don't get you know no one really gives a fuck anymore so why should I right right um so Give less fucks so it's time it's time for me to purge and get this out um yes Okay, so it's so 2008 and um, I get an invitation for a gig. The gig is the closing ceremony of the Special Olympics in Shanghai, China. Um, so it's just, it's in 2008 and it's a few months before the Summer Olympics that were held in Beijing that year. Yeah, um, and this is Bob Evans. This is Bob Evans, that's yes. right. Um, so I'd like, you know, and at that point in time, I was all about any opportunity to go anywhere overseas, fucking bring it on. You know, I loved, yeah, sure. loved if somebody wanted to pay for me to go to Shanghai, I was almost, I was almost like, where do I sign? You know, before yeah. even knowing what I had to do. Um, had you been there before? No, I'd never been. The, the only experience of China I'd had is like Hong Kong or whatever, which, you know, is a is a kind of diluted uh, Chinese experience. I think is that is that okay to say? I, I, you know, yeah, I mean, sure. Um, but no, I'd never been to mainland China before. Um, and so yeah, so closing ceremony of the the Special Olympics. I and what 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 it was was, and I'm not sure if they'd asked. I got the feeling, and I don't know this for sure, but I get the I I, I seem to remember that maybe. Somebody else, another Australian artist, to turn this gig down. Um, it, you know, this is often the way it works with me. I, yeah. you, I, I pick up <laughs> other people's scraps. <laughs> um, but uh, so anyway, um, so yes, yeah, so they, uh, what have what? So they sent me. It's like this. Sort of, so what it is is like you play, you play at the closing ceremony. I, I play. You know, don't you think it's time? And Great also, song. and also, um, there was the theme song that I had to learn and and perform as well, 
which was a song. And I was like, okay, right. So they, they sent me a demo of this song. And it's a song called uh, We Are The Life. Um, and it's like this full-on, like, super cheesy, kind of really bad sort of pop kind of rip-off of We Are The World. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was getting pretty nervous about it. But, you know, by this stage I had already said yes to the, to the gig and, you know. I was just like, okay, look, it's all cool. We'll see what happens. <laughs> anyway, so we, so Heath, my manager at the time, came with me, and it was cool. Like we, got, they flew us business class. You know, nice. that, that, that was a thrill. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, so I turned up to Shanghai, and we have to go into the studio. So I'm there a couple of days before the gig, and um, we go into the studio because everything that we perform is going to be pre-recorded. Um, so for Don't You Think It's Time, I'm just miming the recording that I, from my record. Okay. Um, but for this theme song, we have to, me and, and all these other, so that's the other thing I didn't explain. So there were, <laughs> I kind of was representing Australia and they had a, an artist representing kind of each continent. So there was a South African woman, um, she was like a yeah, gospel kind of soul singer. Yeah. And there was someone from, like, a, a, an opera singer. I think she might have been South American or something. Um, there was this guy, there was a band from Denmark who were, like, massive stars in China. called. Wow. Mike, they were called Michael Learns to Rock. Um, <laughs> they were just this, yeah, like, it was kind of like Bross. With, <laughs> but with with guitars and keyboards and... Um, <laughs> and and then representing Asia was this guy, I, I, I don't know his name, but he was a massive, a huge star in China, this guy. And so we were sort of, so we all had to sort of sing this song together. Like we all had to go into the studio and record our own individual parts and, yeah. you know, and there was, so I went to the studio in Shanghai and there's, to record my thing and so there was like a spoken word thing before the song starts, there's a spoken word bit um and then the song starts and it's like the lyrics are like you know we are the life standing together <laughs> love is all now and forever um so Beautiful. it's just like it's kind of like <laughs> all these sort of just it was like kind of just all these kind of um kind of cliches kind of just mushed together like it didn't actually make any sense like <laughs> like we are the life I don't like it doesn't even I don't even know what that means yeah, yeah it doesn't it doesn't translate well maybe it was sounded great Cantonese but in English it didn't translate well um and so and then when I was in the studio they were they sprung something on me they were like oh so we're also going to do this other thing where you guys are going to sing we are the world as well. So we're going to need to pre-record that. So on the fucking spot in the studio, I had to learn, uh, I don't know who's, which, <laughs> you know, it was just like a, a few lines in different verses and obviously the chorus and stuff like We Are The World and everything. Um, so I pre-recorded all my, all my bits and pieces and then, um, and then the day of the, oh, there was like a big rehearsal um, 
the night before the actual. So closing where ceremony. was where was the what was the vibe like? Were you in a stadium or like where was yeah. where were you performing? Yeah, we're at a massive stadium and it was packed full of people. Even for the rehearsal, like by memory, it was packed Whoa. full of people because the Chinese government pretty much said, "People, you need to turn up to this thing. Like this stadium needs to be full. It is your duty. It is your duty to be there." And of course, you know, uh, sure enough, the place was fucking packed. Um, and and it was incredible because even for the rehearsal the night before the main event, they actually did the full fireworks display. It was like this multi, oh, wow. multi-million dollar fireworks display that they did twice. They did it at, in. They did a full production rehearsal for the fireworks display. So anyway, like I, so the first part of the thing is like me just miming. Don't you think it's time? That's fine, you know. Um, and then. For and then it's at the end of the big sort of finale is us singing this "We Are the Life" song. And this is a song; <laughs> it's been specially written for the event. Yeah. Um, and we're all put given those headphone microphones. You know those like. Oh yeah. You know <laughs> Madonna mics. Yeah, the Madonna mics. So we've yeah. all got. So I've got a Madonna mic, no guitar. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just standing there in my secondhand blue suit, <laughs> wearing a Madonna mic, and um. <laughs> And it's dark and smoky and we were out in the middle of this stadium and, um, you know, we're always being ushered to around, sort of, oh, this way, this way, but, you know, nobody's speaking English. Yeah, yeah. So no one knows what the... F- I never knew what the fuck was going on. You're just sort of just being sort of directed and pushed into place and all that kind of stuff. And then it's time to kind of... Um, and this is at the rehearsals. Um, time for our song, we kind of... We could suddenly get sort of pushed into these places and we get walked onto this sort of... Like a metal, like this metal sort of platform that we all have to stand on, and we're all told to sit in different things. And there's these rail hand railings, and we're told to sort of hold on to the hand railing. Like okay, okay right. <laughs> anyway, there's there's smoke everywhere, and it's dark, and then the lights come on, and um, the song starts out, and um, and you know, so I'm like, okay, well, I all I have to do is mime along to my to my bits and pieces. Yeah. But, um, and it, like all these like lighting, these they weren't fireworks, but you know, like these big light, like these things was like spewing out fucking flames and shit all around this platform. Oh, there was all this smoke and I was like <laughs> trying to, um, mime without, and I was, all I, I was just trying not to cough, you know, there's all this smoke's going everywhere. Yeah. And then this thing that I'm standing on starts to move up. It starts oh to like God. lift off the fucking ground. So... <laughs> Me and the gospel singer from South Africa, and the <laughs> and the um and the opera singer from America, and the fucking guy from Michael Lernster Rock from Denmark, and the and the massive Chinese superstar are all sort of in this pentagon shaped thing, <laughs> and it slowly, while the song is going, and while we're all sing, you know singing along to our parts, this thing is fucking lifting off the ground, Fuck. and it goes higher and higher and higher. And I'm gripping on. Nobody has said anything to me. <laughs> there was no warning, no warning at all. It's lifting off the ground. I'm holding onto this thing, and I, I shit you not, it was. Oh no, it wasn't at this time. This happened later. So okay, so, <laughs> <laughs> so 
So the thing starts moving up off the ground, and I swear, like, we're about 10 metres high, like, or Fuck. high. It, like, and I know that probably doesn't sound like it's very high. No, but that's high. When you're that's up that high. high, it fucking feels high. It's really high. And, and then, and this thing's kind of, it's like an old amusement park ride. You know, oh, it's, God. it's all shaking. Like a bit rickety. Rickety as fuck, shaking around. And then, and all this time there's, like, this smoke and these fucking, like, um, you know, firework things going off. They were all attached to the thing. And then... <laughs> When the Pentagon stage has reached its height, its big height, it starts to separate. So Fuck. the stage <laughs> separates into five different individual <laughs> platforms and they all start moving out from one another. All still, you know, like a rickety fucking fairground ride. And all the while, you know, it's like, we are the last standing together. Um, singing this fucking crazy song. Uh, or miming this crazy song. And it was at about that point that I swear, I'm holding onto the handrail and I literally, I remember thinking to myself, oh my God, this is how I'm going to die. This, <laughs> this is going to be, this is it. I'm going to fucking die in a weird <laughs> fucking staging accident in fucking Shanghai, China. Fuck. That's going to be my crazy... <laughs> Like, I really felt it deep, deep within me that, like, this is it. This is how it's going to end. Oh, my um, goodness. And so, yeah, like, the, so the stage is split into five. And now I'm just, I'm just out on my own on this fucking, you know, on this podium <laughs> thing. Um, and this has all happened without anybody telling me what's going on, <laughs> without any knowledge. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, we finish singing the song and, and I'm going to, um, and I'm going to, um, I'm going to find the song. Um, okay. And I'm going to, when we do my podcast next, I'm going to, if you want to he hear the song, and we'll, we'll listen to the song and um, you'll get an idea of it. Um, they, Can't wait. Uh, and, then, and then, so of course, that was the rehearsal. And then the next night. Oh it my was, God. Was the, did you, did you just, what, but tell me, okay, are we going to ask questions in the next podcast? Or can I no, ask no, 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 ask, yeah, go for it. So, <laughs> I know you don't know where to start. Right? Yeah. I've, I, that's, that's, I just want to hear. Been me. Like... That's been me for eight years. For eight years, I've been so. Uh, uh, uh. That just sounds. First of all, that sounds fucking terrifying because I'm I'm really afraid of heights. I don't know if you are, but that would have just um, killed me inside. I'm not specifically afraid of heights. I'm afraid of rickety um, platforms. Yeah, <laughs> I'm afraid of being in situations that I'm not <laughs> uh, in the least bit prepared for. Yeah. So did you? What happened? So it just did it just come back down and. And did yeah. everyone have that unanimous feeling of what the fuck was that? Or did you feel like other people were prepared for it? Um, so, yeah, so the song finishes and then the lights go down and then this thing slowly, the rickety machine goes back down <laughs> and we all step off. And and I, look, see, the thing is, like, we were all, uh, the five people, we didn't really kind of talk. We all spoke different languages and shit. No one really, yeah. no one was really communicating. Um, but I was just... My my tiny mind had been fucking completely blown 
into yeah, a, mi- a million pieces. I, I <laughs> um, and yeah, like there was just it was weird. I mean, like like I said, my manager Heath was there, and I mean, I don't know. He, I'm sure he would have been half of him would have been completely terrified and the other half would have been yeah. p- pissing himself laughing. Yeah, I can I, imagine. I'm not I'm not sure which sort of <laughs> side would have been more to the f- forefront. Um <laughs> What did you hell. talk what were what were the first words when you and Heath reunited? Oh shit. Um <laughs> well I can't remember exactly but I think I just think it, I would have just been in absolute shock, but also just so like I would have been able to see the funny side of it by that stage because <laughs> I think I was just happy to be alive, Sayer. Seriously. <laughs> I honestly think I was just happy to still be alive because I seriously <laughs> thought that was it for me. That was how I was yeah. going to, that, that would be the last sentence in my fucking Wikipedia page <laughs> was going to be, Kevin Mitchell died in a fucking <laughs> staging accident in sh- at the Special Olympics in China. <laughs> oh my goodness, that is so crazy! Yes, <laughs> like, have this amazing visual of it, and then you had to do it all again. Yeah, so the then actual did it all again the next night, and I guess you know, I suppose I was at least we'd rehearsed it, so I knew what was going to happen this time, and. Um, was a little bit more prepared. Still shitting myself though, and still like trying really hard to. I mean, it was the whole situation was so bizarre. Like being in at that event in China, singing this fucking terrible song. <laughs> well, not not singing, but like miming this. Like, yeah. And they auto tuned the shit out of my vocals too, oh, so no. I, I I sound like fucking Justin Timberlake or something. <laughs> Like I don't sound anything like me, um, <laughs> and and then and then also being afraid of my for my life. Um, that is such a good story. Yeah, I mean, I, I was deeply embarrassed about it, and very, um, I was very very afraid of 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 it getting out because I was genuinely concerned about the repercussions. Um, Why? Because I just. I, I just, I honestly thought like it'll kill my fucking career, it'll kill my credibility, you know, like people find out about it. Um, just that song or the, the whole, everything. The miming? Of, yeah, well, of course, like just being involved in something so deeply commercial. Um, yeah. You know, and it's, it's, it is like it's, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm for a long, I guess I'm still, when I think about it, I'm still very embarrassed, I will admit. Um, I have a lot of those, especially with Regurgitator, where we're just in the moment, we're all just like, what the fuck are we doing? And yeah. then and then afterwards it's the, just the funniest story and you kind of appreciate it for that, I suppose, in retrospect. This thing was televised to like, <laughs> you know, half a billion people. Um, and the next day, you know, I think we had one more, one day afterwards in Shanghai before we were flown home and the next day I remember like going out with Heath and we're going out to get food and stuff. And all these people are going, oh, I saw you on the... Well, I mean, I don't know what they were saying because <laughs> they weren't speaking English. But they were going, oh, no, 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 asking for my <laughs> photo and all that kind of stuff. That's um, awesome. And, and then, and also too, the other thing that I found out was like the, the, the day afterwards, 
um, I've, we, me and Heath were walking past the shop and we saw these, like, I think they were like potato chips or something. It's a chip packet. And the, on, the, on the chip packet was the uh, Chinese guy who had sung the song. Wow. Like he was, he was featured in like a potato chip packet. <laughs> so famous. That's how famous he was. <laughs> Yeah, it was like it was like a household name in China, (laughs) a country of one billion people. Oh, that's uh, I'm so glad that you told that story on my podcast for the first time. Thanks, Kev. Well, you know, like I said, it was I needed to I need I need to confront my 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 ghosts, my skeletons in my closet, (laughs) and um, it's time it's time to confront them and and you know you did it. We're gonna. And we we can we can go deeper into this um, on on my podcast. Good Evans, uh, it's a podcast. Yeah, after this you know. coming up next. Yeah, so if you're listening to this <clears throat> and you want to hear more, <laughs> <laughs> there is more. <laughs> hey, yeah. thank you so much for doing my podcast. Thank you, Saya. Thanks for having me. I'll um I'll talk to you in one minute. All right. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> okay. let's do it. See ya. See ya.